the activity up here, so I wasn't sure whether it was my turn or not. Good morning. I gotta get ready here. Sometimes I need a little snack mid morning, so I came prepared this morning. We are in Romans chapter 11. Um, it's been a while since we've been back in Romans, but today we are. And in our passage today, Paul is using an analogy of an olive tree and grafting to explain Israel's slave failure and what God has done about it, along with what will happen in the future. Israel failed at what God had ordained them to do and brought in a new program and people to accomplish His will. Most of us know what grafting is, but for those who may not know, I'll use as an example. And this is the example. This, one of my favorite apples, is Macintosh. As I was putting this together last night, it came to me, you know, it would be good to have, you know, an example for this morning, an illustration. And all we had was a crisper full of gale apples. And that doesn't work because the gale apples was engineered, if you will, <laughs> rather than coming in the usual way that's been going on for years. And uh, thinking about apples made me want one, so I went in and got in the refrigerator and got one, and I bit into it, and it was a Mac. And, uh, and I thought, wow, like, you know, maybe there's another one in there, and it was. It's interesting about this apple. I know more about its history than I do mine. Um, as you've heard me say before, I can trace my ancestry back to uh, basically Detroit and a few people come out of uh, Canada. And actually this apple came out of Upper Canada and uh, it was on a farm or on the land of some people, you may have guessed it, named Macintosh. Macintosh. And if the, those people had taken just the seeds of those apples and planted them and uh, hopefully to get the same thing, it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, seeds don't grow true to the parent tree. And, uh, but what they did instead is that they uh, took little branches off of this sapling tree that they had and grafted it into a different rootstock. And every apple, every Macintosh apple since 1811 has come through that way. Branches grafted into a different rootstock so that the fruit stays consistent. So it's very important for us to understand that and what Paul's, and help us to see what's happening in our, and what Paul's talking about in his passage as, as an analogy, if you will. In our passage, Paul tells how you don't take a wild branch with unedible fruit and graft it into a tame tree. It would produce unedible fruit, like the tree that we have up at our cottage. Uh, a big apple tree been around a long time, sometimes an awful lot of fruit, two kinds of fruit actually, and never edible. Every once in a while we try it and yuck. And uh, 
And it obviously just grown up from seed. And there's a lot of trees up there that are the same way. Uh, you can see them alongside the road, I'm sure, where apple cores were thrown out and uh, different things like that. But uh, you wouldn't take that branch. And I tried with our apple tree. I tried, Sheila and I, and Mr. Walgas and I went around from these trees in the fall, would bite into an apple, we found a good one, we'd take branches off it, and I attempted to graft it into our tree, but uh, never with any success, uh, probably just the wrong time or whatever. But using this analogy, Paul explains how the nation of Israel fa failed to produce fruit, and God cut it off from its root, and grafted in wild branches, or the Gentiles, or the church, the body of Christ, if you will, of course, made up mostly of Gentiles. Now, this passage, as 9, 10, 11, are very important to understand. They're very important to understand uh, because of the failure to understand its meaning has caused a lot of doubt in Christendom and harm within the church. This comes from a failure, of course, to rightly divide and a superficial reading or study of Scripture. I believe as always it has been used to undermine and denigrate the very God. Um, many who have thought they were magnifying him in the process, while still others it seemed purposely have taught uh, heresy, which took a, took away from, in, the, in many people's minds, the trustworthiness of our God. The false message being, do what God says or else he'll cut you off and you will not have eternal life. He'll take it away from you. And uh, nothing can be further from the truth in the God that we know. So again, uh, the olive tree, the first thing we need to understand about the olive tree again is that the natural rep branches represent Israel. And the wild branches represent the body of Christ, which is predominantly Gentile. In verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. The words first fruit and root refer to Abraham, and lump and branches refer to the nation of Israel. We want to remember that the, na that the nation of Israel was begun because of the faith of Abraham. He was at its root, and so the first fruit, while the lump, the nation that came from his loins. Very important for us to understand this, that God blessed Abraham's faithfulness. This makes the nation itself holy or set apart as God's favored nation. In verse 17, Paul writes, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. This represents a setting aside of the nation, but not in excluding every single Jew. And this is what's important. I think this is where we get confused at, at times where in these passages, Paul's talking mostly national. But the nation of Israel is made up of people. At the time of Christ, very few people in the nation of Israel believed in him, but there were some believers. Today, sometimes we wonder how many believers are in the body of Christ, uh, true believers, as there is so much error that is uh, spread through the different churches. But the wild olive tree 
or branches refers to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were now grafted in to the offer of blessing. This was done by God's grace through Israel's unbelief. And then we see in verse 18 a reminder for us about pride. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say that branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. In other words, continue to live by faith. Learn the truth, believe the truth, live by the truth. The point Paul is making is that Israel was cut off from her blessings because in unbelief she became proud of her favorite status, thinking she was better than the Gentiles because God had chosen her as his own. If the body of Christ holds itself up in pride as being better than, than the unbelieving Jews, it too will be cut off from its blessing. <clears throat> I was surprised at this um, in the first few years that I was saved to find that there was teaching. There was uh, men, there were pastors that had a strong anti-Israel sentiment. And I was surprised at that. And... Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't find where uh, God encourages that or, or uh, wants that technique. You see, just the opposite. Of course, both have as a source of their blessing the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the root of the olive tree. It's very important, the root, um, even in uh, horticulture and in, uh, in uh, propagating uh, any kind of fruit. I found an interesting thing this week. Uh, <laughs> um, it's France, France is noted for its wine. All right, uh, we probably all know that, whether we've partaken of it, partaken of it or not. But uh, it's well known for that. Well, uh, I don't know how. I don't remember how long it's been now. But there's a disease that went through France, and it was killing all of their vineyards. And so they searched around, scrambled around, find out what to do, and they found a rootstock in California that wasn't affected by this disease. So the majority, if not all the grapes that are raised now in France <laughs> come, come from the rootstock of America. They had to find a good, good rootstock. And uh, I I have to chuckle, I know it isn't good, but uh, we learned, my wife and I were in Germany and, and spent a weekend in France, and we'd heard a lot about it before, but the arrogance of the French people and the unfriendliness when we went there was uh, really stood out. And uh, again, that's one of the reasons I find this is humorous, that uh, their famous wines are actually coming now from an American rootstock. So we have different types of branches, but always Christ as a root, always that perfect root, uh, perfect and, and perfectly good. 
The book of Romans makes it clear that no son of Adam has anything within himself to commend him to God. We've looked at that. We've been there. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And uh, that should put us all in a humble position. Uh, none of us have to, anything to brag about except for one thing, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we can and should brag about, what's, who he is and who he is to us. Israel was called out from among the Gentiles according to the Abrahamic covenant and made a great nation. And we see this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles, but failed because she became haughty or high-minded. She became spiritually powerless and was eventually set aside in unbelief where she remains today. In Romans chapter 11, Paul is warning us, the body of Christ, not to follow Israel's example. And indeed, you know, the more that we know the grace of God, the more that we know and understand and experience the relationship with the, that we have with our Savior, the more humble we become. It doesn't make us pride-filled, but humble that our God would bless us in such a beautiful, wonderful way and in so many different ways. Um, the greatest blessing that the body of Christ has is the privilege of sharing the gospel of the grace of God, the truth for today with the lost world. When the church takes a prideful attitude, it ceases to shine as a light in a dark world. It's something that we always need to be reminded of. And again, and uh, we're going to look at that this morning in a passage, but that knowledge of God, the more that we know Him, the more and we become like Him, the more His light is able to shine through us. One of God's charges against Israel was that instead of being a light to the nations, the Gentiles blasphemed God's name because of Israel's ungodly behavior. Romans 2, 22 through 24. You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. In one, one of the passages Paul is referring to back in Ezekiel 36 and verses 16 through 22, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. 
Therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord and yet they have gone out of his land but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do, not, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Israel was cut off from her physical and spiritual blessing because of her unbelief and eventually was temporarily cast aside because she refused to repent. And what a, a sad, sad commentary. All that God did for the nation of Israel, all of that he promised and did do uh, when they responded in faith was awesome. And yet they turned from God uh, constantly throughout uh, the Old Testament. Unfortunately, much of the church has followed Israel. The church has forfeited a major portion of its privilege of serving God because it has fallen from grace. Galatians 5, 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law have fallen from grace. The church, for the most part, is trying to work out its salvation in the power of the flesh. This began even in Paul's day and is the reason the book of Galatians was written. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So even in Paul's day, they were turning from the truth. They were turning from the grace of God and a life of faith back into a system of works. And, uh, yeah... We could point to any number of erroneous teachings in the church today, all of which are the result of turning away from the grace message. Praise the Lord that there are still individuals and churches who are shining as lights in the world today because they understand that we are to work out our salvation, that is to live out, to live out what we believe by faith, allowing God to work out his will in our Lord in our lives, excuse me, according to his pleasure. Philippians 2, 5-16 Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself in no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given the name which is above every name, 
that at the time of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are called, as Israel was called, to be light bearers. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. There's been no end of blaspheming our Lord because of people within the church, ignoring this passage of scripture, profaning his holy name. Again, so many things coming in, uh, losing your salvation, uh, working uh, to keep your salvation, working for salvation. All this profanes God's name. It, it, it undermines his character. Uh, again, uh, people giving the idea of a mean and angry and wrath-filled God rather than the God of love whose greatest desire is to bring us into his family and then to bless, bless us, not just here in this life, but throughout eternity. This passage in Philippians is a matter of a life surrendered to God's will. Oh, we'll be looking at next week, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> It's interesting, we love the wording in scripture and the words that God uses and oftentimes they look like uh, oxymorons uh, and without the study of scripture they just don't make sense. But uh, our uh, title of next week's sermon will be Wanted Dead Christians. Now we know there's a lot of people that uh, really go for that, um, but our scripture actually asks for that, um, but not in the way most people think. Anyway, it's uh, definitely in Romans 12, 1. But in, with this passage in mind, we look at Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful, there's our word, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God. The more we know him, the more we get into passages like 9, 10, and 11, this is confusing. We have to study it closer. We have to look what's here. We have to look at it dispensationally and rightly divided uh, because, uh, yes, if the church as a whole persists in the direction it's going, it will find itself spiritually powerless and completely overtaken by unbelief among the saints and infested by unbelievers in its pulpits. 
we see a lot of that uh, for sure, unfortunately, and uh, it's really sad. The answer to this, of course, is to stand strong for the inspired word of God and the revelation of the mystery, declaring the truth regardless of the direction that others are going. We as great people know that the truth isn't popular. Uh, <laughs> it really isn't popular, um, both within the church and without uh, in our society these days. The truth is not popular, and uh, we've learned that over and over through time. Uh, often we talk about our God and being so wonderful and want, wanting and actually blessing us so fully. And I desire is what to see other people know the God that we do know him the way that we have learned about him and how he does bless us, is blessing us, is blessing our little church and uh, will throughout eternity. And uh, that's what we want for others. Second Timothy 3, 14, 4 through 4, 5, chapter 4, verse 5. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be sure it be been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And then from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you will be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The example of the branches being cut off is in connection with fruit bearing by national Israel and the church in general rather than individuals. Each member in this church as a whole is to be being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by, by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our Lord told that Israel was set aside when she failed to bear fruit. And of course, we know within this, it's a grace church is made up of believers. They're believers in uh, the message of grace, of the word rightly divided, uh, but it's still a church as a whole. We know that one day the church as a whole is going to be taken out we're going to be taken home, the church, the body of Christ. Our Lord told that Israel was set aside when she failed to bear fruit. In Luke 13, 6-10, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a big tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. And of course, this is 
exactly what the Lord did and uh, eventually uh, cut Israel off, if you will, from its blessings temporarily. The church can be set on the shelf, so to speak, when its individual members collectively do not conduct themselves as in 2 Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. This is something coming up in Romans 12 that uh, uh, really helps us in passages like this and that God's gifted us uh, each of us given us gifts for ministry. Oftentimes we are uh, cowed or um, hold back simply because we're, we think we're expected to be something we're not or be using gifts that we don't have. And that's not God's plan for us. Uh, and we need to be aware of that and the gifts that he gives. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And again, Paul is not speaking here of individual salvation for Israel or for Gentiles. This passage is speaking nationally, and dispensationally. And this is what's so important for us to understand. And verse 23, And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? God is considering once again grafting in the nation of Israel into their olive tree, or in other words, going back to dealing with them according to their national kingdom program. The grafting in of wild branches into a good tree is contrary as we looked at to nature. It since usually we would take a branch from a tame tree and, and, and graft it into a wild tree. So also God's grafting in of the Gentiles is contrary to nature and can come about only through his grace. The main point of Romans 11, 13 to 24 is that God's promises will be carried out. This is what's so important. So much doubt is put in Christians' mind because what happened to Israel? And uh, where, you know, God made them a lot of promises. He didn't give them to them, uh, his promises to them why can we expect him to keep his promises to us? Well, he did keep all his promises, and he will keep all his promises. That's why, again, it's so important for us to see this in its dispensational that, uh, nature, if you will. This is very important as we look at many times as city of character of God. Can I trust God? Where does the fruit in our lives come from? It comes from believing God believing his word, and trusting him to carry out in our lives what he has promised to do. Again, this passage is depending on the point that Paul is making in verse 15. These verses explain why national Israel was set aside and how God's program became the reconciling of the world. These verses also explain how the natural branches 
will someday receive life from the dead in the kingdom. In verse 25, Paul does not want believers to be ignorant of the mystery and goes on to explain what part of it. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. The blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. <clears throat> the fullness of the Gentiles refers to the time when the last Gentile will have been saved and the church will be removed from the earth by the rapture. It is distinct from the time of the Gentiles Luke 21, 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, are fulfilled, which refers to the period of time from the Babylonian captivity to the millennial kingdom. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. All Israel, Israel as a nation, will be saved and sin taken away, purged from Jacob. Psalm 14, 7, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and be glad. Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression. And Jacob, says the Lord, as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants, uh, descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. And Jeremiah 31 Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So when the Deliverer, Christ, comes to turn away ungodliness from Jacob, he will save the believers from the Antichrist, and all unbelievers, including unbelieving Jews, will be purged out. This is another way, this is why Paul can say all Israel will be saved. There won't be any unsaved there to start with or uh, allowed in. They will have to uh, come to a Jew to be saved. But... Uh, all Israel will be saved at that time. This will be true of the nation of Israel, both spiritually and nationally. All 12 tribes will be saved nationally and will regain their special position of favor with God. For this is my covenant, verse 27, with him. When I take away their sins concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, 
They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. They are enemies alienated from God because they do not believe in the Lord as Savior, allowing the Gentiles to be saved. While national Israel, beloved because they are God's chosen nation, beloved because beloved for the sake of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Lord still wants to see them individually trust him as Savior. Again, God is always looking to the heart, always looking uh, for people to be saved, uh, all, uh, whether it be in the kingdom, uh, excuse me, in national Israel in the past, or in the kingdom future, uh, God's desire is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And again, uh, I, I really believe his main goal has been to uh, get people who want him saved that he can bless through eternity. And uh, he has room for an awful lot of people. <clears throat> In fact, yeah, everyone. Verse 30 of 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God will not renege on his promises. He made promises to Israel's father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he will never back down on, that he'll never break. They will be fulfilled to the last jot and tittle. Verse 30, for if you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. In Verse 30 was the Gentiles who did not believe God. The times past referred to the time when Israel was still in place of special favor with God and had not yet been blinded. This would refer to the time before the dispensation of the grace of God began. It is Gentiles who have now obtained mercy. They obtained this. You and I have obtained this through the unbelief of national Israel. Verse 31, even so, these also have now been disobedient, but through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. The nation of Israel has not believed. The last part of this verse, that through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy, means that through the kind of mercy being shown to the nations now, they, national Israel, will also receive mercy in the millennium, not at this present time. And verse 32, for God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Verse 32, God has concluded all in unbelief. The giant Gentiles at the Tower of Babel and Israel after the stoning of Stephen. God will also show mercy to all, but not at the same time. Verse 32 refers to a dispensational order. The nations are being shown mercy now, and Israel will be shown mercy in the future, in the millennium, as verse 26 shows us a lot there, but so important for us to understand it as a whole. We're living in this age of grace. We are blessed beyond measure through believing that our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. The third day, by believing that, putting our trust in him, him and his work alone, we have eternal life. And a life that is a real life. Because the church has failed in so many different ways, we see so many people now completely void 
of anything to do with God and Scripture. Interesting, I think I mentioned that there were uh, last week that uh, people went out and interviewed people. What's Easter about? And they take guesses at it in our country. People in their 30s, 40s, I'm not sure what it's about. They come up with silly things. That's in our country. And that, again, is why we failed. We failed to rightly divide the word. We failed to believe the word. We failed in our knowledge of God, of who he is and who he is to us. So important to understand these things and to build our faith and, uh, again, to glorify God rather than to have uh, the lost blaspheme the name of God because of our failure. And we'll close with this, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways fast finding out. We can get a little confused in, uh, on a passage like this, um, but as you read Paul's writings, he knew exactly what he was talking about, what the Lord had given him. And now we see from the, the here on, his passage is so, his heart is so full that he has to bring us to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Why? Why don't you come to this place in your life? We'll be talking about that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray and I thank you for uh, people who have studied your word. I've learned so much from so many that uh, love the detail of your word and to see uh, it dispensational nature, see it rightly divided, and uh, pass that along. And uh, Father, that uh, build our faith, and that's what's most important to you. Do we truly believe you? Do we truly believe what your word says? Do, you really, do we really believe you in our lives, that we can have a life of peace and joy and blessing, Father, when we respond to your word in faith? And Father, we do pray for everyone here, everyone under this message, Father, that uh, more and more they see and understand the truth, more and more that they know you. And we praise you now in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.